this morning, Lord. We're so thankful that we can come and gather in this place and look into your word and get more of a glimpse of who you are, more of a correct view, a bigger view of who you are, Lord. Just reveal yourself more to us this morning as we look into your word. We just thank you for your presence here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you take your seats? Good morning, everyone. I'm going to start us out with another prayer. Holy Father, we don't ask you to come to this place, Father, because we know you're everywhere already. We know that you are so powerful, so mighty, Father. We recognize that you even live inside of us. We recognize that you're omniscient, you're all knowing, you're all powerful. We ask, Father, that we get a glimpse of your glory and a glimpse further of who you are and mature as Christians. Father, I recognize that I am often very pathetic and lame to be up here speaking your word, speaking your truth, expositing the word of God, recognizing how weak I am as a man, preaching, speaking to Weak brothers and sisters, we recognize that we sin and we're broken and we struggle, but yet we recognize you're doing a work in us by the power of your spirit and you're changing us and you're making us in the likeness of your son, transforming us. Father, we are so thankful that you call us saints regardless of our weakness and our struggles. May we be more faithful to you. May we be a church that lifts up the name of Jesus and is faithful to you, regardless of what the world does, regardless of the rest of the Christian world does, that we be faithful to the word of God and that alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John Calvin once said, Ephesians was his favorite book in the Bible. Charles Spurgeon said, The epistle to the Ephesians is a complete body of divinity. In the first chapter, you have the doctrines of the gospel. In the next, you have the experience of the Christians. And before the epistle is finished, you have the precepts of the Christian faith. Sinclair Ferguson says, From the beginning to the end, Ephesians sets us up before the wonder of God's grace, the privilege of belonging to the church, and the pattern of life transformation the gospel produces. And this morning, we continue in our new series in the book of Ephesians, where we will explore the sovereignty of God. Learn more about the bride of Christ, the church. Get even some marriage and parenting counsel and dive deep into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the next section that we embark on is Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, which is a long, continuous sentence in the Greek. There's no punctuations in the Greek here because it's one thought 
Paul is trying to get across one theme, and the focus is on the spiritual blessings that we receive in Christ as Christians. And it starts with verse 3, and it begins by saying, Blessed be the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then the rest of the section explains what these blessings look like in Christ. Verses 4 through 14. And this section is divided into three parts. Around the Trinity, as we see the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6, we see the work of the Father. Ephesians 7 through 10. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, we see the work of the Son. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. And Casey mentioned last week that this was a general epistle. It was like comparable to the, the letter to James that he wrote to the surrounding churches, where this went out to all the churches in the area. And we recognize that God's word is, was very relevant to those people. But God's word is timeless. It's relevant. It's practical to them, but it is practical to us as well. Amen? And this morning, we'll, our main text will be taking a, a chunk out of Ephesians three verses three, Ephesians one verses three through fourteen, and we will specifically focus on uh, Ephesians one verses three through six. So, open your Bibles to Ephesians one verses three through six this morning. This is God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So the first thing, what is the first thing that jumps off the page in verse 3. Well, let's reread it. Just the first section there. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is first importance? What is number one to Paul? Is it to focus on us or man? Or is it to focus on God? And the answer is, of course, is the focus on God, but often so many times we gravitate to the part that says, how is God going to bless us this morning? Or what blessings will God give me? Or how is God going to help me in my family or in my parenting? Or what, how are these blessings going to take shape in my life? But Paul starts inspired by the Holy Spirit by saying blessed. And that word for blessed there in verse 3 can also be translated as praise. So blessed or praise be to the God the Father. We are reminded that our lives start with worship to God. It's about God. 
Truth number one says children of God worship their father. Truth number one says children of God worship their father. And if you're like me, it is a daily struggle, a battle to worship God instead of something else. What do I think about most often? What am I focused on through the day? What consumes my mind? Because scripture says that's what I'm worshiping. My thoughts should be filled with worship and praise to God. Paul says to the Corinthians, what? We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Why? Well, what I think about, meditate on, focus on, reveals what I am truly living for. What is important to me? What are we living for this morning? Who consumes our thoughts? God or our own agendas? Does Christ rule our thoughts and ultimately our lives? Paul Tripp says this, worship is not something we do. It defines who we are. You cannot divide human beings up into those who worship and those who don't. Everybody worships. It's just a matter of what, whom we serve. Paul Tripp reminds us that by nature we are worshiping. God created us to be worshipers. The question is, who or what are we worshiping? Well, turn with me to Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1, which is, is a very familiar passage. This is Paul talking to the church at Rome. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So my question is, what does it look like for us to worship God daily, to do what Paul says, to make our bodies, to give our bodies as living sacrifices to him in daily worship? Worship looks like believers who pray with praise and gratitude in their heart towards God. Worship looks like a marital couple who gives grace to one another because the grace they have received in Christ. Worship looks like a woman who prays diligently for others because of her love for Christ. Worship looks like the teenager who honors her parents because she so wants to honor and obey Christ. Worship looks like parents who train their children in the admonition of the Lord. Worship looks like believers submitting to one another out of obedience or reverence to Christ. Are we living a life of worship this morning? My wise wife, who is sick with our children, um, once said this, God deserves every ounce of our lives, every breath we inhale and exhale, every word we speak to honor him, every thought in our mind to submit to him, every spare moment to be used for his glory, every plan we make to make sense in light of eternity. That's worship. Worship goes beyond theory into just what we think. And it is seen in how we live our lives every day. 
But let's move on, because I have three verses to get through, and I'm not near done with three. So um, let's go back to verse three. We're in Ephesians 1, verse 3. And it says this again, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So my question is, who is it that blesses us? What does this verse tell us? Who is the one who blesses us? Is it the Father? Is it the Son? Is it the Holy Spirit? Who is the great blesser? Well, this leads to truth number two. Truth number two says, God the Father blesses his children. God the Father blesses his children. Do we see the Father as the great blesser? Or do we often look to the Son as the one who blesses us? We often portray Christ as the one who protects us and almost appeases us on our behalf in front of the Father. But God's word says something totally different. It's a very familiar passage, and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. God's plan, the Father's plan, was to send his Son down to save us. And it says, what's the motivation? What was it from? A heart of what? Love, it says. A heart of love. This was the Father's doing. As Christ says in John 6.38, you don't have to turn there, but you can write this down. John 6.38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Who was that? That was the Father. That was the Father's will. God is an active Father. He is not passive with his children. Amen? Turn with me to James 1.17. James 1.17. James, another general epistle, written to various churches. James says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. We see here, as well as Ephesians, God is behind, the Father is behind all the blessings we receive. He finds pleasure in blessing his children. And we recognize that his children are the ones who are in Christ. And those of us who are parents should be able to relate As parents, we get such joy, such satisfaction by blessing our children. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 7, 11, Matthew 7, 11, when he says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Christ says, how much more will your perfect, good, and loving Heavenly Father give you good gifts and bless you? Do we see God the Father as loving? Do we see the countless blessings we receive every day in Christ? Let's go back to our main text again. We're still in Ephesians 1, 3, and I will tell you, we'll get all the way through verse 6. 
And it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So the question you may have is, when do we receive these blessings, these spiritual blessings? Well, let's reread the verse again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing. So truth number three says, in Christ, we already have all spiritual blessings. Truth number three says, in Christ, we already have all spiritual blessings. And I think many times we ask God for what we already have in Christ Jesus. For example, someone struggles in their faith, they have some doubts, or they're having a hard time being obedient to Christ, and they ask God for more faith. And this does seem logical, but let's hear what Jesus says about this. Turn with me to Luke 17, verses 3 through 6. Luke 17, verses 3 through 6. And I I will mention again that whatever I say, if it's not backed up with Scripture, don't buy it. And come talk to me about it, because Scripture needs to be what guides everything we think and say, regardless of the preacher, regardless if it's in my marriage or whatnot. We need to be walking in the authority of God's Word. And Luke 17, 3-6 says this, Pay attention to yourselves. And he's talking to his disciples here. He says, If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So Christ, the the apostles hear this pretty tough teaching by Christ on forgiveness, right? It's really hard, and their natural reaction is to say, Give us more faith, Christ, and we will actually be able to walk this out. And that seems very reasonable. But Christ's response, he says this, Be obedient to the faith you already have. Be obedient to the faith I have already given you. It's not more faith that you need. It's being faithful to the faith you already have. That's what, that's what Christ says in this passage. And similarly, we often, like the disciples, ask God for more faith, more forgiveness, more love, more strength. But Christ says, be obedient to the faith you already have today. We don't need more faith, more love, more forgiveness in the situations that we face at the present moment. Christ gives us all we need in the power of the Holy Spirit every situation that we face. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. John MacArthur says, our resources in God are not simply promised, they are possessed. Every Christian has what Paul calls the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.19. God cannot give us more than he has already given us in his Son. 
there is nothing more to receive. The believer's need, therefore, is not to receive something more, but to do something more with what he already has. God says, we have all spiritual blessings in Christ. Do we face every issue in our lives recognizing we are fully equipped when we are depending on God? So the next question is, what are these spiritual blessings Paul is talking about in this section? What are these blessings Well, I've mentioned Paul lays them out in the rest of the verses, verses 4 through 14, but we'll only be able to touch on a few of them in verses 4 through 6. And we'll just scratch the surface, and I hate to say that, but that's what we're going to have to do. These blessings include, though, in these verses, being chosen, predestined, adopted, holy, and blameless. So let's go back to our main text, Ephesians 1, and now we're going to go through verses 4 through 6. Verses 4 through 6. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Paul says here, God chose you. God predestined you. God adopted you. And Paul is not talking about all people, right? Because that would be called universalism if if he chose everyone. It says those that are in Christ are the ones that are chosen. And in a world where people are desperate to find acceptance by others, we call this in children peer pressure. And in adults, we call it people pleasing and codependency. But truth number four says children of God are fully and wholly accepted. Truth number four says children of God are fully and wholly accepted. We do not have to prove ourselves to God to be saved. We live for God because we already are saved. Amen? We live for God out of gratitude for what he has already done for us in Christ Jesus. We don't have to act a certain way for God to accept us. We, as believers, repent of sins. We love others. We walk in holiness. We turn from evil. We get involved in the local church because we already are accepted by God because we are in Christ. Are we astounded by his grace that he has for us? Am I astounded by his grace that he has for us? That he chose and adopted us as his own. This is good news. This is the good news of the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Is God's acceptance of his children contingent on our obedience? Let me ask this again. Is God's acceptance of his children contingent on their obedience? And let me ask this. What if I looked at my children that way? 
What if I told you I accepted my children when they were good? For example, what if I told my son, Lukey, who's four, just, well, he's almost four in a few weeks. He's going to be four. And I'm glad he's not here for this example, by the way. But for what, what if my son, Lukey, um, I, I said to him, today, son, I approve of you. I accept you. And you know why I accept you, Lukey? It's because you were nice to your brother today. I mean, you helped mommy with the dishes and you worked on some things, some chores that we're really trying to figure out how to do with our four-year-old. But that's what we're actually doing. Um, But I hope you can keep this up, son. Because if you can't, I don't know how long this love will last. And I don't know if you can stay in our house because... Our acceptance of you is predicated on your obedience. You would say, I am heartless. What kind of father would gauge, measure your love and acceptance on your son's obedience? Yet, yet, I hear over and over in the church that thinking towards God. Verse 5, let's go back to verse 5 in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 verse 5 tells us in love he predestined us for adoption. In love he predestined us for adoption. What was God's motivation to predestine and adopt us, does it say? Love, right? Love was the motivation. And we have love for our children, but God has what we call perfect love for us that are in Christ Jesus. Turn with me to John 6.37. John 6.37. John 6.37. This is Jesus. And he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What does Christ say here? All that the Father gives me will come to me. So God gives his stamp of approval on his children. And it says, they come to Christ. How do they come to Christ? Well, skip down to verse 40. Skip down to verse 40. And we hear how they come to Christ. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last days. Verse 40 says, everyone who believes in Christ has been approved by my Father, right? The belief is, in this belief, let's make sure we get this clear because a lot of churches seem to teach something otherwise. The belief that we're talking about here is not just the, the facts of believing that Jesus died on the cross because it says the demons believe that and they're not saved, right? But this Greek word means a wholehearted trust, a real living, breathing faith that translates into transformation in our lives. That's why we, as as believers, we what? Receive the power of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's living inside me, there better be real change in my life. Those who have given their life to Christ in faith and repentance are his. 
Let me ask, church, do you try to obey Christ because you're trying to earn God's acceptance? Or do you obey Christ because you know you already are accepted? Amen. Amen. If we obey God because we are trying to be accepted when we're already in Christ, let me ask you, who's the focus on? Self. Correct, right? If I'm focused on trying to earn God's love, which I already have, I'm trying to be good enough to meet these certain expectations, right? And I'm focused on myself. That's why it's so imperative that we understand this. But if we obey God because we already know we are his, then we freely love him without focusing back on me. Because Satan wants to desperately make it and focus back on myself. He wants me to continue to try to live as if I'm my own God, even as a Christian. But let's reread verse 4. Go back to verse 4. In Ephesians 1, verse 4, and it says this, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Truth number five says this, God the Father made us holy and blameless through Christ. Truth number five says, God the Father made us holy and blameless through Christ. So who were we before we were holy and blameless? Who were we? Well, we were guilty of sin, the Bible says, right? We were unholy, wicked, and evil, the Bible says. The Bible says that we were facing the wrath of God. It says we were enemies to God. And then it says also that we were children of Satan. That's pretty bad news. But when we turn to Christ in faith and repentance, it says this. So what does it mean to be blameless and holy in Christ? It means we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. It means we are no longer controlled by the flesh, Satan, and the world. It means we're made holy by God's purposes. It means God, the Holy Spirit, resides, dwells inside of us as believers. It means we are now children of God. And it means we will now live with Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. Amen? That is some good news. But the final question we may ask is, why are we chosen and adopted? Why are we chosen and adopted? Was it because we had a better personality than others or because we were better than others or because we were from a good family or because we were trying to find God? We were actually seeking after God? Is that possible? Because the Bible says no one seeks after God. No, not one. That means in our flesh, no one is seeking God. There isn't seekers, is what the Bible says. Unless the Holy Spirit is starting to work on them. But let's reread why it says they were chosen. Go back to verse 5 again. Ephesians 1, verse 5. It says, In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Paul says the reason why God chose us, predestined us, adopted us, because it was the purpose of his will. 
We are children of God this morning because it was God's will, as the text says. It was part of his purpose. It was part of his plan. It was part of what he decided from the foundations of the world, before the foundations of the world, it says. Charles Spurgeon once said this, Cheer up, Christian. Things are not left to chance. No blind fate rules the world. God has purposes, and those purposes are fulfilled. God has plans, and those plans are wise. Never can they be dislocated. We can rest. We can rest in God's sovereignty as our Father, knowing that he always works out everything for his glory and his children's good. That's what the Bible teaches. So in conclusion, we've discussed that we are fully loved by the Father. We have all spiritual blessings In Christ Jesus, we've been adopted, chosen, predestined to be children of God if we are in Christ Jesus. Amen? How about you this morning? Are you a child of God? Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Scripture tells us that all men have rebelled against God. And deserve hell, right? That's what the Bible teaches. And it teaches also that we are severely wicked. We are slaves to sin. And we cannot do anything but sin. But by faith and repentance in Christ Jesus, we can become children of God, the Bible says. And this isn't a magic formula. It's not going through certain motions. It's not raising a hand. It's not walking down an aisle. It's a work of God. And if there's any prayers that need be, or you want to talk to myself or Casey after service, I'll be here. Casey will be in the back. Or if you want to visit with us through the week, we're here. We love to open up the word of God that gives us answers to all of life's issues. It is what we are supposed to live our lives for. I will pray so everyone can stand, and then we will be dismissed. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we are thankful that you are so gracious to us. Father, we often are asking for things you have already given us in Christ Jesus by the power of your Spirit. We recognize, Father, that you give us everything we need to accomplish today's tasks. And you'll give us what we need to accomplish tomorrow's tasks as well. Help us to be diligent in seeking after you. Not because we're trying to prove ourselves to you, as we often do. As we do that with other people, we are often addicted to trying to be a people pleaser and often a God pleaser. Help us to please you because we already are freed by the blood of Christ. We are so freed by the grace that continually washes over us in past, present, and future sins. We are so thankful that you are such a loving, patient father to us. Help us at the family church to have a high view of you, to truly know what it means to be a loving church family and to love one another as Christ loved us. We thank and praise you through Christ's name. Amen.